Hey guys, Rafe here from Evolve Me Play, a little micro podcast. We're just um, at the end of a beautiful camp, week-long camp in uh, Massachusetts called the Movement Orienteering and Body Intelligence Camp. I'm with Tom Wexler. Um, we were coaching together as well as uh, Aaron Cantor, Shiri Aziv, and Nuria Boar. So Tom has a background in capoeira, gymnastics strength, and most extensively, uh, modern dance. I got the chance to train with him in um, February of 2014. It was a really influential seminar for me, something I really enjoyed, and so I was excited, very excited to, to see Tom again and, and get to kind of hear from him. So you call your work movement archery, and, uh, and I was just curious to, to have you kind of tell the audience what that means to you, why you chose that name, and you know, where you're going with that. Well, first of all, I needed a name. <laughs> um, and it sounds good, for me at least. The, my idea today as a professional dancer, I always feel a bit of an outsider. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the necessity to justify every movement practice or research that I do to stage which means what will not eventually be beneficial for stage is not relevant for most professional dancers. And since, as you said, my background is in in, in acrobatics and in martial arts and in other forms of movement, I felt that um, it's very important for me to kind of represent the idea that not necessarily for every target there's a specific solution. And this is why the archery is a very inspiring imagery for me. Because in order to hit a target, you choose an arrow. You don't necessarily, not necessarily choose this or that arrow. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a, on the imagination level what I was thinking about. For me to go to the stage and, and, and be good at what I do, uh, I also need to be happy, I also need to be healthy, I also need to be inspired. Um, and this is not the things that usually will be the most relevant for a choreographer mm-hmm. or for a creator. And I would like to pull them still for this target because I think they're, they're supporting the mission. Yeah. So I hope, in, uh, it's very abstract in a way, but I hope it makes sense. So I'm pulling this type of movement, that type of movement, this idea or that idea. I think this is where the image came from. Aside from that, um, I was very inspired by a book that's called uh, Zen and the Art of Archery by uh, Eugen Herigel, which is a German guy that done some Zen training and archery training in Japan. And he wrote a very short book. It's about uh, 60 or 70 pages. Uh, did you read this book? I haven't read it yet. It's, uh, I recommend it. It's nice. I mean, okay. uh, it's, it's, and, uh, his, his experience with archery and his his paradigm shift as a Westerner, as European, as an intellectual. He's teaching in a university in, uh, in, uh, in Tokyo, I think, by the time he's staying in Japan. Going into a physical training with Zen training, all the conflicts he has to go through and all the obstacles he has to overcome was all very inspiring for me. And uh, when I tried to kind of uh, vision what I want to do with movement. So, yeah, these two things. Nice. So, you're a professional dancer by profession, at least mostly, right? 
Mostly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, teacher as well. Uh huh. Yes. And definitely. and so you conceive of movement now from that perspective is what it sounds like. Um. Well. I think that um, I chose dance more than I chose to be a professional dancer. Yeah. Um, I, I really think that dance has something which is very truthful on many different layers. You know, it's a practice that is very primal. Mm -hmm. It's something you can identify with. Yeah. And I think it was very important on an evolutionary level, you know, like uh, communication and, uh, and uh, not to mention different times in history. Uh, it represented so many interesting things, you know, hierarchy, different status was also accompanied by by knowing this or that dance and it's a very it's very interesting very interesting practice that has a lot of again a lot of layers into it and to, today being a, someone that just performs dance on stage has not so, not so much potential for me and the practice has tremendous amount of potential the profession not so much this is why, aside from teaching, I also I also teach. Aside from sorry, aside from performing, I also teach, and I also try to hold some kind of research projects, which not necessarily go to stage, which has different targets, yeah. and, and understanding how an expression can can benefit or support this or that type of movement, this or that type of athletic athleticism, and this or that type of mindset. So on and so on, um, but also you know, at, at some level, in order to have continuity and to add the, the proper challenges, I'm still I'm still working as a performer for other creators. I'm still creating stage works because if I will not, well, I'm not ready yet to leave this completely. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I understand that as uh, as someone who was very devoted to parkour and at, at one point was really wanted to compete in what were kind of coming up as the parkour competitions and then you know trying to build this 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 movement method and model um, I ended up having to, to go away from the competitions I just can't I can't do both but it'd be really cool to have the space to to do to do what you're doing and, and dig deeply into the performance aspect I think there's a lot for the teacher to learn from performance mm. and vice versa yeah I mean competition is a very tricky thing I yeah. think um, and and Performance, as the way it's grasped in the modern society, is very connected. Is unfortunately very connected to competition. Mm -hmm. um, I think, for example, you know that the, the parkour competitions has been something very interesting at the beginning. Mm -hmm. and then later, it became a bit too efficient towards the competition, which means the effectiveness as parkour athletes decreased. Yeah. You know? Become so specific that actually the the magic is gone. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting thing because when we when you create a competitive format, and this is something that I was thinking about, is when we first started doing this, um, if as soon as there is a specific framework that people can train to, they're going to narrow their training in order to be the best athlete for that framework. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of precisely against the, the, the idea of being this broad, globally competent person that, that parkour was originally about. I, uh, 
when I think about competing in, in indoor competitions, aside from the fact that I can't really have availability most times that they're happening, um, I think, well, I really want to compete. I really need to train myself to do the specific things in the specific environments to, to have the best chance to, to do well. And that's really contrary to, to what I want. Uh -huh. You know, I don't, I don't want to be in a gym training for a competition. I want to be out in nature training for research. And, and I think research connects to art much more than competition. Mm -hmm. um, for me, what, things get artistic when, when, the, when the way means more than the result. Now, it doesn't, ma doesn't mean by any... I do not mean that um, there's, no, there's no necessity for practice that is very directed towards a specific result. Yeah. Um, I, I think, um, what, for example, one of the problems of contemporary dance today is lack of, of specific results. And then you see people who have a training which doesn't lead anywhere, doesn't lead to any craft, craftsmanship, doesn't lead to any skill. On the other hand, uh, when you deal with art, there is the place of looking for the result and there is the place to look for the research and they should not um, interfere with each other. Mm -hmm. you know, um, a, a very inspiring example for me, and I said sometimes in my workshop, I probably said, I heard it is, is Hicks on Gracie. Yeah. You know, which uh, and the way he perceived himself and his training was very much as an artist. A lot of research, a lot of um, checking here, checking there. You know, like uh, people who followed him, you know, know that you know he, he competed in many forms of martial arts for the sake of research. You know, he took things from sambo, from um, um, shoot boxing, from um, sorry, shoot um, wrestling, shoot wrestling, yeah. shoot wrestling, Japanese shoot wrestling. Uh, uh, from judo, uh, from from variety of places, for the sake of research, um, and, and all the time he said that also that his inspiration was not an athletic inspiration. It was nature. It was animals. It was uh, uh, understanding, you know, his potential, the potential of his mind, the potential of his body, not necessarily to be the best or to form a system that is the best system. Yeah. Um, so. I think that people get confused too easily, you know, uh, like you said with the parkour, co parkour competitions. If it's there for the sake of, of, of understanding yourself better, for finding um, new challenges, for, for stepping out of the comfort zone, is a good thing. But if it becomes the target, you know, I do parkour for competing, it means that the art is lost, basically. So. Yeah, this is a, a very interesting tension between um, the practice and the goal. When I went to train with you the first time, uh, on the first day I asked you, what was the, the goal of the practice of moon archery? you remember what you said? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> you said there is no goal. <laughs> so there is, sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> so there is no goal. I think you said something poetically dismissive on top of that but it was basically like you know don't 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 come to the work with that mm -hmm. 
And then on the on the last day, you said something a little bit more about you know what you gain from the practice is is, is what you're going for. And this is something that has been a big kind of epiphany for me, and, and thing that I have been working on is I set out with many goals and to be maybe a great competitive parkour athlete or to be the best generalist mover with the plunge and the 500 pound deadlift and the one arm handstand and uh, I kept getting distracted along the way researching things that were more joyful for me <laughs> and then it ended up being that those things were were places where I was able to develop unique unique visions that I was able to share with people. Moving to the States, I remember that um, I had a similar mindset to what I have today. What is interesting, okay, what can, what can benefit me on a physical level, on a mind level, um, and, and then, you know, finding that thing and practice it fully. But coming to the States where all of a sudden I encountered that kids' sports had much more money, had much more ambition. You know, all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm, I'm playing basketball in high school, and kids are, are you know, the kids are injecting, injecting steroids, you know, and, uh, at, you know, at 16 or something, and, and not to mention, you know, parents putting money on private classes, but really, really, uh, like, uh, things that I felt that it's tools that I don't have, and, but we're still playing the same game, and... I remember asking me, starting to ask these questions, that, but, but then, you know, what's, what do you get out of it, you know, if you need to, to take steroids and, and putting money that no one else has, you know, in order to play a game, it actually puts us in an equal place. You, you understand a bit where I'm going with this? So, I, I realized that, that um, the whole concept of, of, of having a target or winning at something today in our society, in modern society, is completely twisted. It's like we want to get it by all means necessary and not we want to become a better person while getting it. And, and it was funny because I remember this realization actually made me better at anything I did at that time. You know, it's like all of a sudden I was like, okay, I'm not so interested in being the best and somehow I became much better. You know, so... I think it was like kind of the first touch of understanding that the, the process of becoming better at the skill is happening on many levels, not just on the level of, of, of you know of actually getting better or getting the coordination better, but also on the level of understanding better what are the components that, that trigger things, and maybe more important, what can be left out while yeah. keeping the the, the the initial the initial um, the initial uh, trigger, you know. Uh, so if I enjoy basketball and I enjoy the challenge of basketball, you know, basically I can forget about the, you know, the career I want to make out of it. It's not yeah. relevant for my progression. It's not relevant. And not only that, is that it will, maybe also the, the understanding that will drift off things that will cause me actually to lose fun and to, to lose my health to lose time that I don't need to lose and I can invest in other things and so on. And so I think this was the first point, you know, this like understanding that there's places that no matter how badly or hard I will compete, I will not manage to win. And, and understanding this actually make, made me more of a winner somehow. Yeah, this makes so, sense to me. I think that uh, 
That was a realization that came a lot later for me, so good job. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, there's, uh, I've heard this phrase is outcome independence, that like to really fully engage in a process and to be the most effective at it, you actually have to, to some degree, um, be able to let go of where it goes. And, and I think this ties into you know, concepts we've talked about over the week of Wu Wei or Mushin notion of, of being able to empty your mind and act. And these are incredibly powerful places uh, for truly being effective at anything that you want to do. Um, and this ties into something that I wanted to talk to you about, which I thought was really interesting, which is the minimalism that you bring to your coaching style. Mm -hmm. uh, you talked about how part of letting go of, of the outcome and focusing on the practice for you is about learning to, 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 to get rid of the stuff that's not necessary. And I've heard you talk about this week, like this idea of minimalism quite a lot. And there's something that I noted when I went to train with you. I'm a very verbal guy and really good with words and, and I really like um, very specific stories and, and, and kind of structures and things. And, and I was really curious when I went to train with you kind of how, how your, your approach to teaching would be. And um, the first time that I talked with you, was, you were really very clearly sort of intentionally not talking a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you, were, you were leaving a lot of space. And, uh, and I was sort of curious. I was like open-minded about it, but it was really outside of the scope of how I would normally teach or how the people that I respected taught. And so I kind of went through the process and the interesting thing that happened was that I, uh, I really tapped into things that I didn't expect to during the course of the workshop and was able to, to move the rhythm much better than I expected and to kind of unlock some of the acrobatic skills that were hard for me. They came very easily all of a sudden. And so I was curious about you know, your philosophy on that and why you place so much emphasis on the idea of and how it works with your coaching to place so much emphasis on, on not giving too much? Well, I mean, the, the, the best answer to this question and to this idea would be not to answer. And you know, <laughs> you know let, let's say, but um, no, I, I, think, I think it's, um, it's f first of all, my choice in, in, in uh, engaging and dedicating my life to dance, to, to martial arts, to acrobatics, based on the idea of that I feel more comfortable communicating with expressions of my body than expression of uh, my words, of my vocabulary. And this is something that I all the time go back to. And I mean, in school I remember myself being, being you know, quite, uh, quite okay with managing tasks, written tasks, and, 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 I, and I love reading, I read a lot. But I feel better, you know, I, I have more, I feel more honest when I express my body mm -hmm. and, uh, and not my words. Um, I feel like you say, it's tapping into a different level of communication, yeah. which uh, I feel more authentic at. This is the first thing. Um, second thing, which is a bit more connected to the teaching, is that uh, I've been uh, in the past two years, I spent a lot of time in Japan, mm -hmm. and I learned in Japan um, concept which is called wabi-sabi. I don't know if you ever heard about it. Um, it's basically an aesthetic concept that um, is kind of connected to aesthetics of, of, of Zen artists 
funny because it's one of the things that when you try to understand you and any Japanese person knows about wabi-sabi and if you will ask him is it this thing or that thing he will always tell you no 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 you don't understand <laughs> uh, regardless if it's like a person that is more uh, you know modern uh, ancient young old always always use the foreigner you don't understand <laughs> this is what really pulled me about it and it's basically connected to two words which one of them uh, means and um, the ability of something to get old naturally and, and one of them more connects to the ability of something to be um, let's say formed naturally okay. I, to give you an example usually uh, if you look at um, ceramics western ceramics like a bowl, cereal bowl. Once it's a little bit broken, or a bit, uh, you know, or getting a bit of mold, it's not, it's not useful, and it's not pretty. Yeah. You know, it loses the beauty and it loses the function. Mm -hmm. And then, if you would look into some of the Japanese art, some of the Japanese art, uh, it gets a bit broken. It gets a bit molded gets a bit, uh, you know, uh, and, 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 and it's still, and it's still, and it's still beautiful and it's still, you can still eat off of it. Yeah. You know, I, I, it's, it's a bit hard to, to imagine maybe if you don't have a, a, something, but um, the idea of, for example, carving something from wood, but not completely um, giving the wood a new, a new look. Yeah. Like that your hand didn't manipulate it so much. Okay, so you have the, the, the kind of the nature of the material and, and you also, it's in a shape that if something happens, it still has life. Now, another great example of the wabi-sabi is that when they fix something with kind of golden or silver patterns. So you, have, you see sometimes broken balls with like the, the part that is broken and made from, from really beautiful uh, material. How does it connect to? I feel that many of the things that I suggest, um, if I put too many words, it's like I'm manipulating the result. You know, and many times I want to give something, and of course, you know, you, you be in the workshop, I try to give a structure that is clear, and is demanding, and is challenging. But I don't want to manipulate what will happen from the person coming into the structure. And for me, too many words is like carving the plate a bit too many times okay so I will get to the perfect shape but I will lose the possibility for the thing to get a bit broken or to get a bit old or to have the natural flavor yeah so this kind of concept of wabi-sabi is something that I've been thinking a lot about and trying to work a lot while comparing my teaching and my practice to it and, you know asking can someone who is very old do my class? Can someone who is very young do my class at the same time? And can I say, give a structure that will fit yeah. both? And so th this a bit connects. And always, always, somehow, the more I go into it, every time I go back to the quiet. You know, the quiet is, is my tool for manifesting all of these ideas. It's very interesting because, you know, I came from when I was driving down to, to take your seminar, 
uh, I was talking with my students who were coming with me about this distinction between uh, a classical pedagogy and a romantic pedagogy that uh, Frank Furnsich has, has kind of popularized. And the basic idea is the classical pedagogy is very analytical, very technical, very um, kind of this is exactly what you need to do. And the romantic pedagogy is more experiential. And I had just moved from really training mostly parkour to also like studying some uh, modern dance. <laughs> and uh, the experience of studying modern dance was totally difficult for me because the pedagogy was so romantic. Uh -huh. <laughs> this idea of, uh, of giving things the space to develop <laughs> kind of within themselves, uh, I think it's very powerful. And it's interesting because, you know, my work, I was, as I was giving people more space and more freedom and giving them more a set of tasks and letting them develop within that, I was hearing feedback from my students about how they were really enjoying it. And also, some of them who were very highly educated people were saying, hey, you need to check out dynamic systems theory. This is what it, what it reflects. And, uh, and so I've gone in, in that direction and researched that. And then working with you and also Shira, um, I, I saw kind of this other take on it seems to come from dance and also from from martial arts like as you mentioned Zen and, and I've been reading a little bit more about Tao Taoism and, and some of these traditional philosophies it's, it's interesting how all these ideas kind of uh, kind of reflect each other and you see these same the same patterns uh, so yeah it's, it's really inspiring I, I think I think the martial arts is also it's a great tool for 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 you know realization of uh, this type of uh, principles. Yeah. Uh, and one of my another experience that is strong for me in Japan is that the past three years I've been tra training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, mm -hmm. and because I spent so much time in Japan, the the place when I, I trained mostly was um, in an academy called uh, in school called the Axis Axis uh, Axis Tokyo it's or Axis headquarters, and it's it's basically. Um, it's basically a school that was opened by uh, all by uh, Hickson Gracie students, okay. and uh, Axis Tokyo is being run by a guy called Takamase Watanabe Sensei. That he's um, he's one of the first uh, first of Hickson black belts, if 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 I if I remember correctly. And when I started training in Japan, it was already after because of the nature of my work. I've been training also in Europe and in the States, and I already had some kind of. Uh, preconceived image of what what Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is and what martial arts is in general you know and again I was looking for something very specific you know and a lot of words gi, no gi, competition training, self-defense training and you know we go to Axis Tokyo and you see this it's, it's amazing amazing academy beautiful super clean you know people are super welcoming I go there, I look at the schedule and I see there's only training. You know, and I ask, you know, I'm coming with wait, what about the no-gi, what about the gi, what about the diesel? No, we do we do gi trainings, you know, like three times a day. So or, or already you know something. You know. I'm trying to ask, but why, what about um, it works for us, you know, it's like, anyhow when starting to train more I realized it's not by what so mean anything that pretend to be some kind of Zen or or, or old tradition you know the place but you see that they run the academy by principles of being kind being clean and being honest not being aggressive and they 
have amazing results you know they have amazing amazing guys winning competitions you know and, and amazing level of technique it's like uh, you, you go there you know you see so many martial arts tourists there always you know and and, and you see that the, the teaching what it felt to me so many times was that it was it's always teaching without ego you know and and this was something that I was like I, I was like kind of aspired to, to do something like this but I never saw it being technically run so well and I remember one of my uh, I got also a bit closer to the to all the teachers there have some connection to Brazil and because of my capoeira we all became kind of good friends and I remember one time that they, they was helping me a lot with techniques you know and, and so on and I remember one time that uh, one of the biggest uh, disappointments uh, uh, one of the teachers was that um, I was um, that I was not being uh, kind to beginners. You know, you know. It's something that is very hard to, to teach. You know, it's how to be kind to beginners. You know, it's like I, have to, I cannot give you a formula. What is, you know, but I remember, you know, I'm coming in. I new white belts are coming in and um, I'm coming them and submit submitting them multiple times. I remember that this was the only moment that I felt like kind of this felt disappointment from the. From the from the teachers, from the instructors, you know, that like, um, here, here you mess up, you know, and it's not mess up because, it's not mess up which were our usual mess up, you know, you messed up in competition, you messed up to show on time, you messed up to show respect, you mess up but not being kind to the person who needs kindness, you know, and uh, this was, again, you know, mind blown. And later on also when I started getting, you know, going further and getting, you know, colored belts you know all of a sudden I'm rolling with people who were my friends At the beginning you know I felt that I was like kind of you know we we're always having like good times and, you know I was always stepping up my game and succeeding to roll with them you know at the same level and then getting new belts all of a sudden you know they're like <laughs> when I actually came to their level they're like okay now they destroyed me you know yeah. so, so actually holding back for so long without saying anything about it like without saying, I will show you, which is something we like to do as a Westerner. I, I have the knowledge, so I will show you. No, they're just there and they're just being kind, quietly kind, so I can develop without anyone manipulating it. You know, and yeah. this kind of idea of develop, letting something, like you said, you know, you, you put people on the tree, and I felt it in your class as well this week. Yeah. You put someone on the tree and you give him something, you have him, the tree, and, and, and something technical, you know. This is enough to create a huge structure and huge potential for growth. Um, while what we tend to do sometimes is after giving these things which are enough for really amazing growth, we also put another thing that will keep the person in our like kind of control. Um, one carving too much. One carving too much, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And uh, I think it's it's something that uh, you know it has a lot of potential and and also like you said you know it's 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 there by the way in in, in many places you know they speak about it regardless of all the new you know there's Zen Taoism Kabbalah all of these things but um, I don't think it has to go also to a spiritual level or to a um, religious level it's it also it makes sense you know because 
you said like to be in like this idea of being in the action and doing only the action this means that also more than that is, is already is already too much mm-hmm. you know you cannot over preparing is over preparing yeah. it's, it's not preparing um, precisely yeah the same is like not preparing enough but uh, here comes, you know, the quality over quantity. And this also goes with the teaching. If I will say 100 things full of quality, but they're not relevant, you know, I'm actually, I'm not helping the person, I'm pulling him down. And if I give one thing that is full of quality and gives a lot of potential, it's a different story. Yeah, it's uh, the classic idea of, um, of perfection not arising when there's nothing left to put in, but when there's nothing left to take away. Mmm, beautiful. And this is a, I think it's a very powerful thing for, especially for guys like me to think about, right? Guys who, who have a lot of ability to, to, to say nice things, <laughs> right? To recognize when those things are actually the thing that somebody needs to hear. Well, if knowledge is power, you know, mm-hmm. and you, for example, my experience from, from, from taking, a, taking a class with you was that extremely knowledgeable and also in a very in aspects that for me felt very relevant you know knowledge about communicating with nature knowledge about self-defense uh, knowledge about um, playing games um, and you know for I get that that's why that's why it's a tricky subject that people people you know people think that if you if you if you speak about it you speak about something abstract because it's minimalism can be also you know for some person it can be saying so many things for him it will be minimalism you know because he still edits from, from from this this type of sack of knowledge yeah. um, so so it's something that needs to be adaptable to the to, to the amount of knowledge in the situation Absolutely. But, but asking what's relevant this is a good question I think yeah it's a powerful question I wanted to go back to this idea of it it's it's not just um, like a spiritual principle um, you can look at it that way because I, I think this is interesting how uh, in a lot of ways these these old mystical romantic traditions in a way we're finding now a resonance with with motor learning theory and dynamic systems theory and flow state uh, research like all of this is is in a sense to some degree there's this this consilience between these um, which is a big word for knowledge coming together <laughs> we when you have a if we have the best model of how the mind works right now we know that the way that it organizes information it tells us something about how to teach and the funny thing is that what it tells us about how to teach is not so different from these old principles that are in Zen or in mm. martial arts. Um, Interesting. I f- this is something that that's very inspirational to me right now to think about is how how uh, how much there's lots of there's lots of tradition that's 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 crap. Yeah, definitely. But there's so much that uh, there's so much that we can learn from it if we are willing to sift and to pay attention. Look, as a, as a person uh, growing up in Israel, which is a country very, very connected to, to religion, mm-hmm. you know, and it also, it's a great, 
one of the best demonstrations to show how much like uh, tradition and religion can 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 uh, can mess up uh, humanity. You know, I, I completely agree that. Uh, I mean, I, I'm I'm not. I don't think, but by any means, I'm too much of a too much romantic about history or nostalgia or even even traditions but i think that there is some truth for example in, in you know in some principles that you can find them in old writings and in new new writings alike that um that once you're not being cynical about them they can make so much sense i heard an interesting interview with Lord hamilton which is one of my favorite athletes so Alert Hamilton, regardless of all of his training and all of the science that he uses, um, eventually it comes down to a very, very simple relationship with nature. Yeah. You know, very honest one. And this is the minimalism, you know, that eventually after all is said and done, after all the preparation and all of the, you know, the managing with the world um, on the scientific level, you know, you come and you're like, okay, what's my relationship with the practice? What's my relationship? with the surrounding, with the situation, with the other person. And, um, and this is, I think this is very powerful. And this is not something that you can identify as something that is connected to old writings or new writings. Or, um, and I think also today not necessarily to Eastern or Western. Yeah. You know, it's uh, something a bit more universal. Uh, yeah, I'm interested in, in the connection between Eastern, Western, Stoicism, Taoism. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to think about and, and that to go back to kind of the early part of our conversation, what do you get from your practice, right? The practice can, can make you one of the best in the world and leave you with zero um, satisfaction or you can have an incredibly powerful practice that nobody knows about. I think for me, you know, the best, best flips that I did, the best dance moves, best uh, sparring sessions were the ones who were not filmed, that they had no witnesses, they had no audience. So, a great wave that no one ever sees me taking except for myself, I would take on any day, on just uh, being great at something and uh, not satisfied with a lot of uh, credit. Beautiful. Well, we are about to get rained on. It is thundering and lightning here. Yeah, so, yeah. Tom, Definitely. thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. And I uh, look you, forward man. to future ones. Thank you very much. Yeah.